0: Hello and welcome to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings. and every episode, I have the privilege of having a discussion with E.C. on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, it's our goal to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week. Hello and how are you, E.C.?
1: Great, great. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully.
0: We are going to do something today. We, I I think, and you'll have to correct me, this started on Instagram. You reached out, you said, hey, what questions do you have or what questions do you have about specific diets? Got a bunch of really cool feedback. We did an episode specifically on the paleo diet recently. And now we're gonna do an episode where we talk about or we talk through maybe two or three different diets that folks were having questions about. So beyond that, what context do we need and maybe what diets or what nutrition plans are we gonna talk about today?
1: Yeah, you pretty much nailed it. Kind of started out of some questions, and then I just thought, well, this is interesting. Why don't we just do kind of a couple episodes if people like them, sort of collapsing different diets and going over them individually to give some some pros and cons. And so today mm-hmm. we're going to talk about. I'd received some questions about the Zone. Talk about that one, Weight Watchers, and then also low FODMAP diets. And then I know we have another episode coming up where we'll talk about three others. And if people like this format, think it's interesting, we can keep keep kind of doing kind of mini mini reviews mm-hmm. of diets.
0: Love that. Okay, so we're going to do this, thinking about that, thinking ahead that there we could probably do this two or three or four times. We're going to try to use kind of a three-part structure here. The first one is just a little bit of context on the particular diet. And then we're going to talk about the things that you see as cons or things Mm -hmm. against the particular diet. And then, because we want to be fair, we want to do the pros as well the things that the the particular diets have going for them. So we're going to do, we're going to start where nutrition started for me. My life can be broken into pre, (laughs) not quite zone, but pre having any sense of nutrition and post. And it started with me for zone, obviously for folks who are around CrossFit at the time, early CrossFit was very zone heavy. I remember going to my first CrossFit L1 and hearing about the zone and like everything changed after that. And so let's talk about what the zone diet is, because it it does feel like one of those things that like every like every like everybody in our circle knew about, and then it disappeared. So what is the zone diet? What do we need to know to understand the part of the conversation where we're going to the pros and cons?
1: The zone diet was created by Dr. Barry Sears. The main premise of the zone is to eat in a way that balances your hormones and particularly your insulin response. And the way to do that, according to the diet, is to eat in this magic ratio of macronutrients of 40% of your calories are coming from carbohydrate, 30% of your calories are coming from fat, and 30% of your calories are coming from protein, and to do that at every meal. And so because figuring out that ratio in every meal is a little bit cumbersome due to the difference of caloric values in each gram of macronutrients, Dr. Sears developed a measurement system called a BLOCK. Oh, and I so a block, block. Yes. yes, a block. And then the
0: conversation was, how many blocks are you on or something? There, some we, go. Of that, right? there yep, we go. There we go. It's
1: Each all coming block, back to me now. It's <laughs> all coming back, flashbacks. <laughs> a block contains seven grams of protein, nine grams of carbohydrate, and three grams of fat. And then you eat meals in multiple block servings, like a four block meal is a very common meal size. And you would use zone block charts, probably now zone apps, I'm assuming, to figure out how many ounces of meat, for example, in our block, how much apple you can get for a block, how many nuts are in a block, and then try to construct these meals that have the right serving sizes according to the blocks. And then you'd have this perfect macronutrient ratio, supposedly balanced hormones, and to be in this zone-like state of optimal health and performance and then the total number of blocks you eat a day would be known as your zone blocks prescription so you'd have a target some people would be 20 some people would be 15 and so on of these total blocks to eat every day sounds scrumptious right blocks
0: i distinctly remember counting macadamia nuts yes to make sure I got Thank my all my fat blocks <laughs> in. Actually, and we're going to get into the pros and cons, but I would just like to say, because this was my first real attempt <laughs> at nutrition, like it was actually like, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like yeah. it was just such a different and to have the prescription anyways. I no, there's now, some great things about at, it. At the time when it was like, oh yeah, like there was something very fundamental to me.
1: No, oh, some, there's some great things about it. Yeah, for sure. so
0: we'll get into the pros, but a- as we talked about, let's do the cons first.
1: Yeah, these ratios aren't really magic, and you can have balanced insulin or whatever hormone well outside of a 40-30-30 diet. This optimal... Hormone response per se can be achieved by eating the right total quantity of food. (laughs) And of course, getting the right quality within that total quantity, but it doesn't have to be in these zone proportions. The human body can operate and can be healthy on a wide range of macronutrient intakes. And I think if Dr. Sears were to counter that, I think he would say while somebody could operate at a variety of macronutrient intakes, he would, I think, suggest that they're not, quote, optimized. I've said this before, There, there's just no optimizing well. You're either well mm. or you're moving away from well, but there is no higher wellness to achieve. Now, here's a really key nuance, because as you already mentioned, this is you know part of the, the CrossFit culture. You can achieve higher fitness. There's almost always more higher fitness to achieve. Like there's almost always more pull-ups to achieve, mm-hmm. but there is not necessarily a higher wellness to achieve in terms of having your markers get to some optimal value. I mean, I think... We have plenty of evidence to suggest of the wide variety of diets that the human species were exposed to and thrived to really kind of counter this idea that there has to be this optimal macronutrient ratio. Mm -hmm. I do agree there is some optimization to be had around quantity and how much of each macronutrient you're taking in for performance, but it is not going to be at 40-30-30 for every athlete. Mm Mm-hmm. The second big drawback for me about the zone is this measurement system of a block. You know, he defines a block by having a certain number of macronutrients, and every macronutrient has a caloric value. So a block is really telling us macros and calories. Macros and calories are already on every food label. So to me, it's like, why do we need this additional layer of complexity of another measurement system? I mean, first of all, people hate math as it is, right? Like, do we need (laughs) another way to measure something? And, you know, I was around the zone long enough. It's not rocket science. You certainly can learn the system. But to me, it just begs the question of why. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if this analogy will land. But to me, it's the same as though, like, let's say any store in the U.S., instead of listing their prices in the U.S. dollar, they decided to list the prices in some foreign currency, like the Japanese yen. (laughs) You know, it's like, there's a conversion, and we could figure it out, but why? (laughs) 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 Why don't we do the accepted units of measurement that are, like, used Mm -hmm. and are meaningful, which happen to be calories and macronutrients? And, you know, again, the idea would be, well, we need it in this optimal ratio, which which is just unnecessary. And so, to me, the block system adds complexity without utility. And the third thing I want to point out is that foods aren't these perfect macronutrients because like each food in the block system is classified as the, as though it's like a macronutrient, like ground beef is a protein, right? The problem is foods don't only contain protein or only contain fat. And so when you go and put together a 40, 30, 30 meal, according to their block charts, your macronutrient ratios are not 40-30-30. And I did this just looking at the zone diet book that I have here sitting next to me. I put put together a four-block meal of mm-hmm. four ounces of 20% ground beef, two ounces of tortilla chips, and two tablespoons of sour cream. I was kind of going with like a nacho theme here (laughs) as a meal here. And the ratio is 15% of calories coming from protein instead of the ideal 30, 20% Mm -hmm. of the calories coming from carbs instead of supposedly the 40, and 61% of the calories coming from fat. Now, perhaps Dr. Sears would tell me that I didn't pick his more ideal options and I picked some of the the things, but the reality is, is that people don't only eat, you know, chicken breast and apples at every single meal. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it's like kind of interesting, right? If the whole premise is we need this magic ratio of 40-30-30, yet when we construct these meals according to your system, we don't end up at 40-30-30. How useful is this whole idea of the ratio anyway? It's implying a level of precision that is just not there or realistic.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So now the pros.
1: There are some really great things about the zone. With the zone diet, people will get way, way, way closer to the correct dose, meaning the correct total calories and macronutrients than than what they're probably currently doing, except if they're doing macros accurately. But virtually compared to any other diet out there, they're going to get way, way, way closer to the appropriate dose. Why? Why? because you're weighing and measuring everything. Like you said, it was a very transformational experience where you. was like Mm -hmm. really like putting data to your diet. And so the magic of the zone is not in a perfect 40-30 ratio. It's not in a balanced hormone levels. The magic in the zone is controlling calories and macros and doing so in a measurable way. Like with paleo, you could control your calories, but it's really harder to understand why weight changes are occurring or why performance is improving because you don't actually have any data on it. You're sort of just selecting foods based on a yes or no decision tree. Where the zone diet you do, you actually have some numbers. Now it's this block system, which is not totally precise, but it's a fine enough system because again, it's going to get us way closer than than not doing any measurement at all. And so again, the magic in the zone is controlling calories and macronutrients, that's it. I do wanna say the other pro of the zone is that when people are talking about wanting to optimize fitness, you have to weigh and measure, Mm -hmm. you have to, you have to understand at the very least, the total volume of fuel that is appropriate. You probably also want to tinker with that carb to fat ratio, depending on your volume and intensity and, and even protein to make sure that you're getting enough for muscle mass, strength development, all of that stuff. So. Optimization is not from eating protein with carbs in some ratio. Optimization is eating a measurable amount of macronutrients that then you can compare to your performance and tweak and make those changes. And finally, another pro, as much as I kind of have already slammed this idea of the 40-30-30 ratio, a relatively mixed macronutrient diet is actually great from a sustainability and and just getting enough nutrient perspective. When you eat a macronutrient level that's too extreme – very low carb, for example, you have just cut out a bunch of different foods that you could potentially eat. And therefore, you've reduced the chances of you getting all of the nutrients, the vitamins and minerals, fiber, all the stuff that we go through in just because you have a fewer selection of foods. And you've also reduced the chance that is going to be sustainable. You know, mm-hmm. eating mixed macro meals are sustainable because we like these meal combinations. We don't just like to eat only protein powder and then move on. And then at the next meal, eat only peaches. We, we, we <laughs> like to kind of combine food in this mixed macronutrient way. And so having this different combination of protein, carbs, and fat is quite sustainable, again, from getting enough nutrients, as well as just enjoying our meals and being able to stick to the diet. And I really don't want to appear like I'm getting lost in semantics because there are a really good number of practical realities of the zone. People are going to learn a lot and to see a lot of results simply from weighing and measuring and also optimizing their ratios for performance. That's great stuff. It's just what spins me up about the zone is implying this level of precision for 40-30-30 is magical or necessary, when in reality, it's one of many, many macronutrient combinations that the body can be healthy, the body can thrive, you can have a sustainable diet, you can get all the nutrients you need. And then finally, that other thing, this balanced hormone idea is just wrong. It it drives people a little bit towards this, again, I don't want to eat a banana because of the insulin Mm -hmm. spike, and get kind of a little bit lost in that and so we end up having having some kind of odd eating behaviors and so again there's some really great stuff on the zone you will see results but it's just Oftentimes not because of some of the rationale that was presented. You know, it's not because of this hormone ratio and it's not because of the macronutrient ratio. It's because you're controlling quantity, which we talk about once or twice before.
0: I like that even in the pros, there was some cons. I had to. I I I just, you know. I no, I get I just I think it's funny. Okay. So that was the zone diet. We're gonna move on to the second one, which is Weight Watchers. Again, something I think everybody's heard of. Yeah. But what's the kind of what's the context here? Let's make sure we're all on the same page.
1: Yeah, I've never done Weight Watchers, so I am kind of just going off of some online information about it but it's definitely for a diet for people who want to lose weight and the target that they put out there is about losing weight at a one to two pounds a week clip
0: mm-hmm. and
1: since it's a weight loss diet no surprise they're going to cut calories <laughs> but mm-hmm. in their system you don't have to count calories they have you count their system called points <laughs> which is similar to the zone and the fact that they've made up another measurements measurement system i think A target number of points that's kind of considered average or normal or common is about 23 points a day. And so you Mm -hmm. learn what foods have what number of points and off to the races you go, you add up your points across the day. I think the other thing that differentiates Weight Watchers is that there is a community aspect to it. They have an app, of course, Mm -hmm. you can meet others virtually, and they still do have face-to-face meetings and workshops at their centers around the world. So they do have this sort of common kind of collection point, which is different than other diets.
0: And they also have Oprah, don't they? Isn't that Oh also a yeah, she might
1: still be. Yeah. I'm not sure if she's still a, I th- yeah.
0: I think she's actually, I'm I'm totally talking out of turn here, but I think she's actually a part owner now. I think she actually oh, okay. like became part. I may be totally wrong about that. Okay, Weight Watchers, what are the cons?
1: I didn't know you followed Oprah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> is, everybody? Is what I just learned is that in possible conversation. To, is it possible not to?
1: Yeah, so what are the cons? I think the one to two pounds a week weight loss goal, although safe, which is what you kind of see re- Repeated over and over again in some of the literature associated with them. Yes, it is safe. I do think that one to two pounds a week might not be sustainable for many. And especially, I think it's kind of aggressive for what is known as their demographic, right? They're typically mm-hmm. demographic, although I know they do have men in their groups as well now too. But especially in the beginning, it was much more targeted towards women. Women tend to be smaller on average. And Also, Weight Watchers, while they definitely promote exercise, which is great, it's also not the group of like high intensity weight training type of exercise that's really Mm -hmm. common, as far as I understand. So, particularly for their demographic, I I think the one to two pounds a week is going to be a little aggressive because people just won't have these larger caloric budgets to sort of be able to trim off a bunch of calories and they also don't have a ton of muscle mass that's going to help that process relative to some other populations. I think the other con is this formula, or somehow they determine the number of points that you get. I mean, I think people probably can guess at this point, I don't love that approach. The whole system that we use in my masterclass is I don't tell people numbers. We figure out mm-hmm. what their numbers should be based on based on what they're eating and based on some data observation. I think that's going to get you a more sustainable and realistic number to hit. And so I don't really love that because again, it's going to be kind of formulaic. And I think the last con is, again, we've got this new measurement system right? Like if calories are the thing that we're trying to control, why don't we just count calories? (laughs) You know, and and their their argument is that their system makes counting easy. And I just get a little confused. It's like, why don't we talk about the variable that we're controlling? (laughs) Because you have to count something, right? You have to count something. And Mm -hmm. calories are on every single label. It's very accessible, all that stuff. Now, what's interesting about the Weight Watchers point system compared to something like the zone, I do think there is a little bit of Maybe simplicity is that, or even maybe just some psychology is that because there's so much psychology around calories, and because people can Mm -hmm. get in their own way thinking about calories, that maybe shifting to something like points somehow lets people kind of get out of their own way and less be hyper fixated on calories. So maybe Mm -hmm. there is something interesting psychology there. But again, I'm not really sure. I'm wild about measurement systems that don't use the variables that that ultimately produce the outcomes we want.
0: Yeah. I was, that's kind of what I was thinking about too. Is like it's it's negative to count calories. That feels like homework, right? But it's fun to get points,
1: right? That's true. I mean, it could just be right? psychology. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: so maybe that's a, a pro. Okay, cool. So let's
0: let's dive into the pros. Let's yeah. dive into to what you see as good with Weight Watchers.
1: Yeah, well, it is calorie cutting. So if you do it and stick to it, it is going to work. And it has a measurement system. Again, we just kind of went through the cons of the measurement system, but it is some type of measurement system. So again, instead of just sort of being like, oh, I think this is healthy or not, we have some sort of number that we're holding ourselves accountable to. And so that's that's all really good. But the pros that I really like are really twofold. One, Weight Watchers is sort of lazy macros in reverse. So lazy Mm. macros is to focus on adding fruits, veggies, and protein to the diet. And here on Weight Watchers, and this is with some of the overhauls they've done over the last several years, but what they've done is things like fruits, veggies, and lean proteins, and I think even some whole grains, but the fruits, veggies, and lean proteins are zero points. Mm. So basically, they're encouraging people to eat unlimited amounts of the healthy stuff that they're under eating. And then they have to just track on the foods that they overeat. Mm. So I do think there's some interesting psychology there, right? Like, just like the psychology of the 800-gram challenges and lazy macros is maybe freeing because you don't have to eliminate anything. Here, in this case, it's freeing because you're not spending any of your points to eat, quote, all of this food or whatever. So I do think it does simplify the tracking system way more than the zone. And there's lots of different foods. like. You know, again, all fruits and vegetables, all lean proteins, don't trout for any point. So there's some interesting stuff there. I think the other pro is the coaching support, whether on the app or the workshops. People do tend to do do tend to do better when they have support and other people around them. I mean, that's why I run the masterclass the way that I do mm-hmm. in groups. I mean, it's why I think CrossFit has a lot of success. There's some sort of, I hate the word suffering, but shared suffering. <laughs> <laughs> yep. People like to go through things together. So I think that does distinguish Weight Watchers from some other things. All in all, I, I think it's a fine enough diet. The more athletic and performance focused you are i think the more you're going to want a little bit more precision in the macronutrients maybe not to this level of precision of like you know 40 30 30 type of Mm -hmm. thing but i think you're going to want to be a little bit more targeted there and i also think if you've been somebody who's been on and off weight watchers more than once it probably means that the number of points you're targeting has gotten a little bit too aggressive again they're going after that one to two pounds a week maybe just bump up the points by a couple you know and see if you can do a little bit more slow sustainable weight loss that way but I really do love that idea of the free foods. I think it's it's an interesting way to to get yep. people to buy in.
0: Love that. Okay. Last one, the third one is the low FODMAP diet. What is that? Let's do some context because I think especially of the three, it's the one that I I know the least about.
1: Yeah, it's definitely different than the other two because it's not focusing on weight loss. It's not focusing yeah. on counting calories. It's more about food choices. And the main reason to focus on a low FODMAP diet would be to try to alleviate some digestion issues like gas, bloating, diarrhea. And so FODMAP is an acronym that stands for fermentable, oligo, dye, monosaccharides, and polyols. And so these are short-chain carbohydrates that are poorly absorbed in the small intestine. And so because they're not absorbed into the body, they then move on to the colon, and they're sitting around there, they can pull water into the colon, they can also ferment there, that means the microbiota, the living microorganisms, will use them for energy, which produces gas. And so when you go on a low FODMAP diet, you reduce the consumption of them, particularly the, the items that are very high in them. And so hopefully you can eliminate eliminate some of that diarrhea and bloating from not pulling in as much water and not producing as much gas. Now, it's unrealistic or unnecessary to completely eliminate FODMAPs. It's just mm-hmm. that, I don't know, people might be eating a slew of apples and mushrooms every day, and, and that's just very high in polyols, and they might be not understanding why they have all this GI distress as mm-hmm. a result. And so individuals will find certain combinations and items are more triggering for them than others and there's a, just going to be a large amount of try and see here when you do a kind of a low fodmap approach it's important to note i think i said it but to rehighlight these are naturally occurring so it includes FODMAPs include things like fructose and lactose, which are disaccharides, it includes raffinose, which is a three sugar molecule found in beans and other vegetables, it includes sh- sugar alcohols like polyols, like I just mentioned, kind of in apples and mushrooms. I do also wanna note these digestion issues that people experience do not mean that you have systemic inflammation. People worry, oh, gosh, I feel bloated or, oh, gosh, I have gas or whatever like that. I'm inflamed. No, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't work. I'm going to circle back to that. It's just that people who have these GI disorders, maybe like IBS, they might find that some of their symptoms can go away when they do a low FODMAP diet. But it's important to stress that it's not the FODMAPs that are causing any inflammation associated with that condition or any systemic inflammation for people maybe that don't even have those conditions. It's just that reducing the consumption can help their symptoms. Got
0: it. Okay. Let's go into the cons of the FODMAP diet as you see it.
1: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you're just going to be cutting out a lot of healthy foods to your diet. And again, I come at things probably because my own experience from the angle of the worried well, I think people get a little bit overly fearful about these foods that we're eating for various reasons. They're worrying about every potentially quote symptom, you know, maybe a little bit increased gas or a little bit of bloating. And now they think they have diabetes or cardiovascular disease. And I find a lot of people have had this over obsession on elimination diets. And ultimately, these foods are not actually harmful. So Again, I just wouldn't want people to be following a low-fat-not-diet because they ultimately think it's more healthy. In fact, that we find that people, when they exclude foods like this, they end up worse off. And so I actually had someone reach out recently about whether or not they should do an elimination diet. And one of the first questions I asked was, well, do you have a diagnosis for something? You know, you could try FODMAP just because you want to and you want to see what happens and this do this trial and error approach. But why not go to an MD or a DO and see what the diagnosis is, see if anything is wrong before you just randomly try something on your own? Because I've definitely worked with people who work, totally convinced they had something and then were tested and found out they didn't actually have that or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to just have this predilection towards overly aggressive elimination diets, because again, we tend to see that's actually associated with worse health outcomes, not better.
0: Okay. So what are the pros then?
1: I think this one is pretty straightforward for the pros. I mean, obviously if you have some not great GI symptoms, mm-hmm. and you'd like mm-hmm. to have them <laughs> alleviated, and you can do that with just changing some of your food choices, I, I think that's great. And so that would be the main reason to really try it. But again, I'd love for you to do it in the context of having a diagnosis or working with a practitioner.
0: Only because this last one contrasts a little bit with the zone yeah. and Weight Watchers in terms of like, again, this is just my own perspective. I can go read the book on the zone. I can go, I could go join Weight Watchers, Mm. it's everywhere. If somebody was interested in FODMAP, is there a book? Is there a resource? Is is it the doctor is the first place and don't worry about everything else?
1: Yeah. You know, I actually haven't read any books on low fat FODMAP specifically, although I'm sure there are some. The last time I checked in the Monash University, M-O-N-A-S-H, has done an extensive amount of research on uh, low FODMAP. And I think they have some great resources and potentially even an app last time I checked, but it has been some time. So I would refer people there.
0: All right, great. Thank you, EC. Uh, That was your breakdown on zone, Weight Watchers, FODMAP. What if you were to tease the next Mm. time we do one of these, what are the diets that you think might be the next kind of episode?
1: We're looking at Octavia, keto and carb cycling. Super so, fun. yeah, if people okay. like this format, we'll, we'll try to keep doing them, these mini diet reviews.
0: Love it. Thank you, EC. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. EC and I will be back next week for another episode of The Consistency Project.
1: Team. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. If you want even more bonus nutrition content, join my email list at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. A link is also in the show notes. I try to send out content weekly-ish. Again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email. This is also the best way to get a question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. You can click reply to any email I send out. And also, we really appreciate those five-star ratings and reviews. This does help get the podcast in front of new people, which then allows me to continue to bring more content to you all. So thanks so much for taking the time to do that.